Hi, this is Scott Johnson, host of The Instance, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio. So look forward to that. All right, welcome to the Games and Media panel. Uh, it's called the Games and Media panel because we had to split it in two. Okay? Uh, we did that because we have so many really smart people I want to hear from today that it made kind of sense, plus we had schedule issues. So the way we decided to do it is this first half, we're going to have our games panel. And we have up here with us Mr. J.J. Valentine. Uh, let's see, who else we got? We got Roger Altizer. Am I saying it right? I'm saying it right. All right. He uh, works up at the University of Utah in their games department and does amazing work up there. We're going to get a real academic view of things from him, I'm sure. Mr. Uh, Russell Brower from Blizzard. Mark the Terpster Turpin, you all know him. Veronica Belmont, I don't know why I'm looking at this, but Veronica Belmont, <laughs> look, I got to look. Who's this? Brian Brushwood on the stage with us now. Yeah. Nicole Spag. Uh, of course, who else we got in here? Oh, Mike Tram. Made it up. Mike Tram, everybody. Woo-hoo. Willie Dills Gregory. And finally, Brian Ibbett. Or Brian Dunaway. <laughs> I literally slept like two hours, so uh, forgive me. All right. So I was looking forward to this because we all, I mean, who's playing video games in here? Pretty much all of us, right? We play yeah. a lot of games. And a uh, number of WoW players. A lot of you are probably, you brought your, <laughs> brought your 3DSs and they're playing Animal Crossing in your rooms. Uh, so quite the range, I would say. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about kind of the weird place we are in video games right now. It's the weirdest year that I can remember in a very long time. And uh, I want to talk about some of those things, what they might mean for the future of gaming, get some of these expert opinions and uh, have you guys chime in as well with a little Q&A toward the end of this, uh, toward the end of the half. So, talking about weird years, we have new consoles. For the first time in a very long time, the big two releases are going basically head-to-head. We don't know the release dates yet, but we know the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 are essentially coming out the same holiday season, maybe a week or two apart, who knows. Um, and if you paid any attention to E3, Terpster was there, so you can speak to some of that. Uh, you saw some pretty weird stuff happen. That was just my hotel room, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Microsoft got up and strutted around and showed us what they were going to do, and some of it freaked people out a little bit. And Sony paid attention real hard that day and said, well, we go on in like four hours. Let's like totally you know, make this a mess for them, which is basically what they did. And they're coming off this generation where the 360, at least in the States, was a clear winner. And the PlayStation 3 did good, but wasn't quite there and had its problems and issues, but also had a lot of strengths. Um, so now we head into this time where Microsoft makes a bunch of ideas about DRM and about free-to-play and about lending games and all this other stuff that nobody, at least we think we don't want it, right? I'm not so sure we don't in some form. They just did a really bad job telling us what it was or how it would work or relieving any fears we may have had, which gave Sony this big open. So we all know this story. And then a week later, they turn around and said, ah, we're just kidding. We'll take all that stuff out. <laughs> so how, I, I can't think of anything weirder than that in games in a very long time in terms of just a weird thing to go down. And couple that with things like the strength of Steam on PCs, putting the PC in a very strong position during a generation cycle, which just doesn't happen normally, not in the last few cycles anyway. So that's a real contender. Mobile is killing everything. You guys all have Angry Birds probably. 
And I'm real sorry. That you do. <laughs> they have a good theme song. But anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a threat. Mobile is a threat. iOS and Android is a threat, whether we like it or not. It's a threat to existing mobile. It's a threat to Nintendo and Sony's business. So that's crazy, and that's all happening in kind of rapid-fire sort of succession. Um, and then you got weird stuff like Oculus Rift, and, and which looks awesome, and I can't wait for it. But then you got other crap like the Ouya and <laughs> things that don't look so great, right? <laughs> or maybe have potential, but we haven't realized what that potential is. So this ever more crowded market, indie development is just on fire. I love the whole indie scene, and there's so much to get, and 10 and 15 and $12 things are not unusual, and they're great experiences. So that throws a new wrinkle into it when these big companies want you to play Call of Duty until you're dead, right? So knowing all of this and how this is just this very quickly changing business, and there's less money to be spread around because there's so many choices for your entertainment dollar, I think it'd be fun to talk about some of that. So let's start with, uh, let's start with Roger. Sounds good. When you're, you're in an academic setting, what are you guys teaching kids today about, and when I say kids, I mean college-level students, what are they learning about what it means to make games now, in the future? Do they all just want to make Minecraft mods? Like, what's the, what, is, what is it like for a student trying to be a video game designer? That's an excellent question. Um, when I started teaching games, there were 50 video game programs in the nation, and today, depending on who you ask, there's about 580 different schools that are willing to take your money and teach you video games. So the question about what is being taught is a good question, especially in light of the changing market of games. The reality is we're teaching collaboration, we're teaching teamwork, we're teaching agile methods so they can adapt to new scenarios. But the most important thing we're teaching them is how to get games done. Um, and if you went to college, you wrote a bunch of papers, and they kind of sat there at the end of the semester. And the same is true of games. There are a lot of people who make great games that never see the light of day. So the big thing we push is getting games published. So, and that's the beautiful thing about this generation. Um, our students publish games on the Xbox 360 in the indie market, and some of them made tens of thousands of dollars doing that. We've had students publish games on Desura. Um, one of them was the number one game on Desura and had a million views on Desura, six million views on YouTube, and it's launching careers left and right. So the big thing now is getting games made and getting them out the door. And the big trick to that is knowing how to make great games, and that means talking to players, doing a lot of play testing, and trying to go into markets that aren't previously explored. Interesting. So Russell is a guy who makes the content of games better. You score them. You give them depth. You give them artistic uh, expression they wouldn't have otherwise. They'd be static images without a lot of what you do. I'm curious from your perspective what this looks like. From a company as big as Blizzard with all they have going on, they're also hungry for mobile. They're hungry for, for other avenues of, of uh, you know, games. They're back on consoles now with Diablo 3. They're interested in doing more with, um, with Portable, with Hearthstone, and things like that. As someone who's actually putting content into these games, what does that, I don't know, this, this weird landscape look like to a guy like you? To someone like me, I'd say, you know, it's still games. We're still making games. We're making the games that we want to play ourselves. We're putting the sound and music in that we want to hear that increases immersion and makes it more compelling. Uh, you know, I grew up on great movies and movie scores and things like that. This, whatever the platform, whatever the, the venue, whether it's uh, on your phone or your, your iPad or on a, on a 
Doghouse Systems PC. Yeah. <laughs> and use the code Henry for double the memory. Double the memory. It's, <laughs> it's, um, I think the key word for me is timelessness. Um, great movies, great books, great stories. They, well, they withstand the test of time. And uh, when you think of, um, I'll use a third-party example. I'll say there's a game called Limbo that just made it onto uh, iPad a few days ago. Uh, one of the most compelling sound experiences in a game ever. And um, that has survived several platforms. So I think we're going to see more of that. Um, if there is a logistical part of uh, my answer, it would be I have to be more conscious about footprint, obviously, on, uh, on handheld games. Uh, the customer only wants to download so much. At some point, it gets to be too big. And sound does take up a lot of physical space. So... Uh, we, we, on Hearthstone, for instance, we worked really closely with that team to make sure that it, the sound is really uh, a part of gameplay and making it more fun and more engaging, but not just there because we can put it there. So that's interesting because as games become, uh, well, as opportunities become more, um, people are more capable of making games that are on a smaller scale the tools to be high fidelity with what you're talking about are there for them, too. Um, a game I like a lot is Thomas Was Alone, mm. which is the weirdest thing. It's basically Atari 2600 graphics with a few shaders that help it stand out a little bit, but really it's just blocks. But the story, and the audio, the music, and the voiceover make it something truly unique and special. Mm. Do you see... We're always going to have big blockbuster games, and we'll talk about that with others more, but do you... Do you think that what you're saying and what you do at Blizzard applies all the way down the line to the two-man team making something in their garage? Well, I, I'm biased because my um, tool of communication is sound, uh, and so I have a very special love for it. But I will say, there's an old saying, it comes from the film industry, that uh, while sound can't save you know, a bad movie or a bad game, uh, good sound, good immersive uh, soundscape and music can actually make the picture look better. And... Um, and this goes back to the days of radio drama when you didn't even need picture. So I think uh, in some cases with these smaller games in terms of scope and size, footprint, uh, you know, can it fit on a phone or whatever, um, the, the visual fidelity can be a little lower. The sound quality might be not quite as high fidelity, but if the content is timeless and really provides that immersion, then... Um, of course, the gameplay's got to be there. And at Blizzard, we say gameplay first, and that should, I think, hold true for everything. So if you have those things in place, I, I, don't, I don't believe it's a big issue because uh, or it's, not a, it's not an insurmountable challenge. And one of the best metaphors I can draw is, is a great melody. Uh, some of the melodies we love the most from classic games, from Super Mario and stuff, those were written in the day when you could play one, two, maybe four musical notes at one time. The melody had to be catchy. It had to be good. It had to become an earworm. And so that's why a good melody, it works on a music box. It works on a solo piano. It works with video games live with a symphony orchestra. It still brings back that same memory. And so because of that, I love working in sound because um, moving to different platforms, the challenges are probably just more about how good are the speakers they're listening? Or how good are speakers are people using? Um, you know, we just don't want to... And how big is the footprint? So, 
Veronica, I had a question for you. How much do you like sausage? No, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, i got to come up with a new catchphrase for this year. Yeah, we do. Um, you did a blog post that I thought was fascinating about you and the state of gaming for you. Mm-hmm. And it really resonated with me because um, I think a few of us have been gaming for years. We're really into what we're into. We have our favorites, whatever. But you, there starts to be some fatigue. I'm curious if you want to... A, expound on that a little bit, kind of what you generally meant for those who haven't read it, but where do you think some of that comes from? Is it purely that we are just inundated with, with entertainment options and, and gaming is, is a, an example of so many choices? Yeah. The summer sale on Steam alone is just going to destroy us all, right? <laughs> so, wh- so where did your blog post come from? What's kind of the impetus for that and, and what do you think we stand on that? Well, the kind of, the kind of idea of the post was that you know, I've, I've, I've hit a certain age now where... I'm finding myself playing video games less and less, and I think it kind of really started to show itself after we finished Game On, because I I found myself in a position of not having to play games all the time. For the first time in like seven years, I wasn't actively involved in the gaming industry. And so suddenly, I would have like a half an hour free, and I would read a book, or I would catch up on some TV shows. Blasphemy! (laughs) And I couldn't figure out for a really long time if if it was me growing out of video games or if I just hadn't found a game recently that had really captured my imagination. But I knew that wasn't probably true because there have been some great titles out there, um, especially in the last six months or so. Um, So I think it was just maybe my priorities changed or I... And then I found myself getting sucked into Sims 3 for like six hours just randomly out of the blue the other day. And right now I feel like I'm looking for something fun to kind of take my mind off of my normal like adult pressures for like a half an hour or an hour or something like that. And I haven't been like really immersed in something in a long time. Have you played Animal Crossing? <laughs> I'm not, I haven't played Animal Crossing in a couple of years actually. The new one's really good. The new one's really good? Yeah. All right. You know, I, I suggest... Watching Game of Thrones with an Xbox controller in your hand. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a way to do it. Well, it's tough, too, because, I mean, so many of my friends, even here, like Ralph, for example, or like, you know, Kim, people who I play games with a lot, I haven't been able to see as much recently because I haven't been on Steam. I haven't been in Guild Wars. I haven't been doing the things I normally do as much. Um, like, it's been a year now that I've had an active... I have not had an active WoW subscription in a year. And that's the first time in... Eight years that's that that's happened. I know it's tough, right? It's not. It's not you. <laughs> <laughs> Were you about to shake that on me? <laughs> that could be your new catchphrase, actually. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Wide open doors. Wide open doors. <laughs> this is why these things happen, because I just yeah I know. Um, so it's, it's been weird. I guess it's, I don't know if it's a priorities thing or if it's just a waiting for the next thing to grab my attention, but it's, it's, I hardly ever play games right now. I don't even deserve to be on this panel. Like it's, 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 a, weird, it's a weird thing for well, me. Like that's been such a big part of my life right. for so long. I like the perspective because, on the other hand, Schwood, you just finished Last of Us. Yeah. Last of Us is one of those games where you don't casually get in. It is a mm-hmm. hardcore experience that's mm-hmm. going to last a certain amount of time, and you have to dedicate time to it. And you really liked it, right? Oh, my God. It's astonishing. Game yeah. of the year, yeah. So how hard is it for you? You seem to do this pretty well, but 
do you feel like your tastes are changing? Are you feeling like you need a more casual experience outside of hardcore games? Uh, you, you know, my, selfishly, if I just want to kill time, it's not that my dorks must die too. Because it's like I know I'm never going to invest more than 45 or 50 minutes in there. Each time you combine elements of first-person gaming, puzzle solving, uh, tower defense, and uh, in this endless mode. It, it, like that's, that's my brain shutdown mode. In many ways, uh, I don't think I've played a video game outside of Orcs Must Die 2 and not live-streamed it in uh, maybe maybe half a year now. So is that what I should do? Should I live-stream? Oh, yeah. No, it's great. Because <laughs> I'm serious. Because, because uh, uh, the, the, the reason I don't play console games is because I don't have my bros over on the couch anymore. I got kids, and I, you know, I can't go to the living room because you know, they're, they're certainly not watching The Last of Us. The kids can't walk in and see it. Uh, but I go, I go up, and I work in the studio, uh, and you've got the, the, the gameplay there. And there is the most fascinating trend to me in the last uh, half decade has been the meteoric rise of people who love to watch other people yeah. play mm-hmm. video games. And now yeah. we're seeing intellectual property debates about like who owns it. Does the person who do, does the performance of it deserve to monetize it because they're the ones who did the actual actions, they're the ones who told the story, or does, the, uh, you know, does Nintendo need to? And in fact, there's, there's stories I've heard of Nintendo going in and taking all the Let's Plays where somebody's uh, you know, monetizing them and then just, just taking the money from them. Uh, so it's, we're going to see a lot shaping out uh, from that. But for me personally, back to your question, Scott, uh, as that has been uh, what has upped my gaming for the last mm-hmm. time. I get excited about doing the performance and, and, and finishing games because I'm a lazy guy. I'm one of those serial non-completer of games. But when you know that there's people who are asking how, how is it going to end, you feel obligated to get out there and do it, and in a good way. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I don't play as many games as I used to, but I definitely watch gameplay more than ever um, and I, I kind of play vicariously through others um, and I think that's, that's and you get changed. you get like 80-90% of the experience I mean it, especially for story driven video well, it can, I think that it always comes down to the game so something like The Last of Us it's quite a linear title you know you're going to get the same sort of experience um, I think for, for other games that are more open and it, you, you're going to get a personality come through and I think that kind of comes into what we do with podcasting in, in many ways um, and it's kind of like when you're playing with your mates and going around your mate's house and watching him play Final Fantasy VII or something like that. And you, you, know, you want to have a go, but he's, no, you're not allowed to. It's his save. It might have been just me. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's that sort of feeling of, of just gaming with friends. And I think the big push in this next generation is, is social, is sharing. Um, all the consoles are built around live streaming, capture. Um, it's going to make it even easier for anyone here to do that, to, to create their own content, to share it with friends. You do that really cool headshot in Call of Duty, great. You press one button, and it will save that clip up to YouTube. Everyone can watch yeah. it. Um, it's, it's, it's really trying to encourage sharing because the reason World of Warcraft is so compelling for me is because of all of the people who play it. And it's that sensation of, of hanging out with my friends, and they're an extension of my family in many ways. Um, and, and that's what the game gives. And I think that people are trying to emulate that, that MMO magic in other platforms by bringing social back into it. Well, in a very real way, everybody up here is our friends or know each other or is at this event or does other things together because wow, mm. wow is one important right. stitch in that stitching. Like I can connect wow to everybody up here, all of you. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to key on. JJ, you play a lot of video games and you jump around a lot. Oh, yeah. Jump up, get up, get down. Right. right? <laughs> yep. It's like a rap or something. <laughs> um, you, so as a, from a perspective of a guy who does that, it's like, ooh, Guild Wars 2, let's try this for three weeks. Right. Ooh, another thing, let's try that for six right. weeks. Ooh, WoW's got a new pass, let's go back and play that. Yeah. 
But all with the same yeah. people, though, yeah? <laughs> yeah, much. yeah it's, it's playing with your it friends. Is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Well, that's, with your bit, that's the important bit, right? That, that is, what drives yeah. you? Yeah, it is. It is. And then, and then I'm a big MMO player, you know, and then when a new MMO comes out, I want to jump right in. And it's also great when we have, um, you know, my friends playing with us and stuff like that, folks from AIE and from O-Ray team and stuff like that. I mean, heck, I mean, a lot of you all know that I met my lovely wife in World of Warcraft, you know, and, and I know there's many other people here um, that are here today that have met their significant other um, in World of Warcraft, I mean, and it plays a big part in, because what, what the game does is just gives a means to share um, that time together with people. It's like, I always say, it's like going with your, with your buddies out and playing golf, you know, you get, you know, so I mean, instead I'm just doing it at home right. on my computer and we're all sitting on vent. Nothing wrong with golf, Dills. It's fine. No. <laughs> I, I play golf, too. And yeah. if, you, if you know uh, anything about, uh, you know, Jay and, and the guys he plays with, I mean, that's a close-knit group of guys who don't hang out in real life ever, really. Yeah. Maybe every they now and then. They kick gear and take down bosses, too. They're not messing around. Yeah. No, but, I mean, they, yeah, they play every game that comes out. They all migrate to that game together, and they play that game together. And then the new game comes out, and they migrate to that. And the, but it's those guys together, and that's a, a really close-knit group. And you find that with a bunch of people who've never maybe – I mean, I've only met him, maybe Servilia. Never met Friscos, you know? Like, but this guy, I, I have stories. He keeps oh, out PTSing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I have stories about this guy. Never seen his face. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting point. So, Shram, you uh, just took a new job as an analyst where you analyze things. I'm an expert. Thank you. Thank Congratulations you. on that. Thanks. Um, I just want to say it's my pleasure, and I'm very grateful to be able to finally uh, share a stage here with my hero, the inimitable Mark the Terpster Turpin. Thank you very much. I love you. you. I love you, Mike. Nerds. But no, anyway. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for for this console uh, generation, and I was at E3 as well. I've covered E3 for uh, about seven years now, um, and this, these press conferences, the Sony and Microsoft press conferences, I've never seen anything like what happened at the Sony press conference. Like, it was, we were all covering it on joystick, and we were all sitting around working on posts and getting things up, and every single one of us was just, like, mind-blown that they had done this, and they had people cheering for them and, and how it had worked out. But the thing that I'm most excited about for the consoles, I mean, when we get a new generation of consoles, it's always, oh, it looks more realistic, the graphics are, are better, like, it, there's certain things that you expect from a new console generation. But that's not really what I'm excited about this time, because... We've had pretty photorealistic graphics. In fact, I think a lot of us don't think that photorealistic graphics is what we're looking for. Like, stylistic graphics is what we want. And, in, you know, individual unique experiences that we've never played before in terms of indies and mobile and all these things. So the thing that I'm most excited about is using that extra console power to do this sharing, to do this social connection, and to do the thing where you can hit one button and your gameplay session gets shown on someone else's screen. Or if I'm having a real bit of trouble uh, getting through a certain section, I can pull up my friend's screen and see what he had just done. Or if I'm in a racing game, my friend can show up in a car next to me and then instantly, without changing modes or doing anything differently, we're racing against each other. And I think that is where this, this console generation's power is going to come from, and I think it's what's going to really change in this console generation is it's not going to be you put a disc in and you play your game or you join a multiplayer game and you play that. It's going to be this experience that you sort of share. And even, you know, we were 
talking about the street pass stuff and the Animal Crossing stuff, like that's already kind of shown up in the generation of, of things that we're seeing. So I'm really excited. I am playing quite a bit, and uh, I'm really excited to see what these two new consoles look like and the way they, they work together. So. so that social bit is interesting because, so take my co-host on the final score here. Nicole picks up a game, and she beats it to hell and back. She doesn't mess around. Like, she will beat that game, and we always know she will, and I'll be behind. I still haven't finished Borderlands 2, but you've beaten it and all the DLC. Yeah. And if there's other stuff, you're probably beating that too. <laughs> Facebook games, whatever. So that's, she's hardcore. Brian, on the other hand, two-hour demo, usually. Right. You're lucky if I get 30-minute demo, an hour demo. I'm, a, I'm their worst nightmare. I'm a game developer's <laughs> worst nightmare. I just take what they give me and say, oh, thank you. That was Surface-level stuff, and then you're past right, it. Right. But I think it's interesting how this, what, what Shram is talking about is an interesting bridge between your styles. So she's killing it and beating everything. And okay. you're not... But you can have these connections, and there's a way for you to give each other crap online. And there, I mean, there's other ways to do that now on PCs and stuff. I mean, consoles are not going to really reinvent this wheel. They're just going to mass market this wheel. Right. Going to take it past where PC people have had it, which I think is kind of interesting. So when you guys teach coursework, mm-hmm. I mean, is the goal to send them out going, all right, you're going to be the next Mike Morheim, you're going to be the next uh, whoever, Miyamoto, whatever. Right. Is that the goal? And so what skills do you give these guys or try to teach them? That's a great question. We actually have two goals. Uh, the first goal is that you can work today. So they all have contemporary skills, be it in music or art or programming, um, and they do get employed. We have like a 90% employment rate out of our program. But the second thing we want to teach them is to be ready for tomorrow, right? And that trick is interesting. And what we really believe helps with that is have a deeper understanding of games that we generally don't talk about. So like I was in games press for a decade. Right? And so I reviewed just a million games, went to E3 all the time. And in the game scholarship community, we have all sorts of interesting things happening, like this talk about looking at games versus playing games. We now have fMRI data, a functional MRI brain scans of folks playing games versus watching games. Hmm. And we discovered something really interesting. And this is the first time this happened was last year. When someone is playing a game, their brain is on fire. Right? You just see all these regions of the brain just lit up. And when someone's watching a game, it's the same as watching a movie. There are three areas lit up. It's also the same as reading a book. And the reason for that is because you're making rapid decisions and you're getting instant reward for those decisions when you're playing a game. That doesn't happen. Like, you might analyze a movie while you watch it, but you're not making decisions and seeing those decisions have consequences. So as a result, all the creative areas of the brain are active when you're playing. So how do we translate that into a consumer product? Like, what do you do with that knowledge, right? So I remind the students, okay, experience is great. Storytelling is great. But what is the play? Because the play is where the creativity happens. And how do you marry those two things? Like, if you look at Bioshock, right? Bioshock 1, great job of really cool, interesting story, really fun gameplay. The most recent Bioshock, really interesting story, but it kind of has a bit of a rub against its gameplay, right? It really wants you to go this certain pace, but then it rewards you for slowing things down and exploring. And so there's a bit of a disconnect there. So how do you get those kinds of things to jive? And then having words to describe those phenomena are the keys to being intentional in making designs. So before, design was about knack, right? How did you find a good designer? Like back in the day, you know, in the Atari 2600 early NES days, who was the most creative programmer? That guy got to be the designer. This is the first generation where we're seeing trained designers getting hired. Um, when I first started this, no one wanted... I was told by a VP at EA, don't teach design, we'll never hire a designer out of college. 
And then last year, that same guy came up to me and said, who are your top designers? <laughs> right? And we're going, well, you know. Is that a tools thing? Is it just that this is getting not, not easier to program, but that it's less important for a designer to, to know what's under the hood because under the hood can happen when he says, yeah. make this happen, and it happens easier. Is that kind of why? Well, we require our designers to know what happens under the hood. Yeah. Like we, we say that anyone who wants to, because everyone comes in and wants to be a designer, right? So you have to have another skill, be it an art skill or a programming skill, or you're not going to work really. But also it helps you understand what a game is. And it's this idea of systems, understanding what systems are, what play systems are. And like you can take a, a great card game. Like you take a game like Munchkin. It's a great example, right? And Munchkin, you can slap all sorts of different themes on top of Munchkin, and that game still really sings. It doesn't matter if it's fantasy or if it's sci-fi. That game sings, right? And that's because the core underlying system is solid. It is a tight system. And there are a lot of simple games that are out there that are like that. So the key is finding that great system and then also laying over that great experience, that great narrative, that great sound, that great look. And if you can get all those things to jive, it works. It's why WoW has worked for so long. Like, WoW doesn't compare fidelity-wise to so many games out there, but it's amazing still. I mean, it's, people are playing... It's still beautiful, and you it's don't still, know why. It's, it's still, still beautiful. It's yeah. still complete. It still sings when you play it, right? And you can walk away for a long time. You go back to it. You sure. say, I did want to oh, add, why? though, like, I do think outside of the, the actual curriculum and even outside of the professional game developers, the tools are getting better. And, oh, for sure. you know, it's, it's, in, it's incredible. That's part of the technology as well. Like, not only even on, like, a, a game maker level where you can just download a program and start putting a game together... But also, Apple's tools in terms of iOS development are getting better. I mean, I made a game, and that means anybody can do it. Um, and even in the games themselves, like Project Spark was a really interesting thing that's coming out of Microsoft for Xbox One, where you can create your own game world. I'm playing Neverwinter quite a bit, and it's a, it's a solid MMO, but there's a forge on there where anybody can make, a con- make levels and make content for that game, and that becomes part of the selling point of the thing itself. So I do think, I, I mean, in my mind, this is outside of obviously the academic setting and, and the professional setting. In my mind, gaming is sort of becoming more like podcasting and blogging in that if you want to make a game or if you want to create an experience, you can go and do it now. And we as gamers have access to all of these crazy, awesome things that people have just put together and then we can then do things with, like Minecraft. I mean, that's, is it a game or is it a tool, essentially? I mean, it's, very, it's been very striking to me over the past couple of years how much creation and consumption of this content have sort of been bumping up against each other. And I think that's a trend that's very much going to continue. So, you deal with Minecraft a lot where you work. Mm. Minecraft's a huge part of what the Augscast is and what they do. How do they see it? Is it a tool? Is it a game? Yeah, well, no, we, we, see it, we see it as a, as a platform, really. Um, I think that's why it's interesting when we were talking about uh, kind of copyright and ownership over creating works and it's a little bit like you know does the guy who invented the chessboard does if i film a, someone playing chess does he own the rights to that you know, like he might have you know come up with the idea of that but how i choose to use the pieces maybe i invent new battle chess where every time you make a move you have to punch him in the face i don't know you know does he still get a, a cut of that um and i think really with games like minecraft and gary's mod and really sandbox games where it's purely driven by creativity and imagination. Um, I think that you, you can do anything with it. And, and we do with Minecraft. It's amazing. We can build you know, very cool, impressive structures. Well, you, you fill in the kind of gaps with your imagination, really. Um, but we can do anything and everything, really, in there. 
Um, there's, and the, the community is so vast and so creative, as communities always are. Um, and that's what you see with World of Warcraft, with the add-ons. You know, there's all these just amazing things out there um, that because there's literally you know, hundreds of years' worth of man-hours available just because there's so many people, um, that you can just generate more and iterate more than a developer ever can. Well, my sense is, so I watch Nick, I don't know if he's in here, but Nick will play Minecraft till his eyes bleed or until we tell him to get off. <laughs> and I notice that he's not playing. He's creating. Yeah. He's making things. He's building, exactly. And so, it, so how likely is it that his generation of designers, and anyone can answer to this, they're going to rule They're going to rule the world, aren't they? Because right. you know, you think this changes, this fundamentally changes what we think of as game design in a lot of ways because their approach to it is different. It isn't, how do I make killing that boss fun or how do I make it so jumping over dudes is exciting? It's now, how can I give the player the power to make a thing? And that seems to me to be the future. Yeah. And, so and we like it or not, I want you to add, because some people don't like that. You know. you know, watching Mateo play games on an iPad, and he has a little story builder where he can build a toy story, and he's putting his little character, and he's 20 months old. And it amazes me watching him interact with games and learning at the same time. The generation now, all the little kids in here, they just... They have an awesome road ahead of them <laughs> because they're the digital natives now. We are the immigrants. Yeah, we're going to be old farts that are freaked out. But it's our job to provide the platforms to curate this. This is the big thing, and you know, here, Steam here. Greenlight does it very well in that it can. You know, these these new talented individuals coming up. There's going to be so many of them well, making this, so many different things. This directly ties into, I don't even know if you remember saying it, but when you were setting this up, Scott, you talked you, you lamented the fact that we have so many choices now and, uh, and, and fewer dollars as a result. But uh, what, what that fails to acknowledge is that the pie is just getting so much bigger with mm -hmm. diversity. Mm -hmm. And it is true that we have a hard time uh, making decisions when we're presented with too many options without filters, but we don't exist in that world. We have filters. We have, as you mentioned, content creation or curation is going to be... Uh, is going to grow along with the continuous divergence. That's also a problem for me, though. I'll sit there and look at my Steam library for like 20 minutes oh, and yeah. just not, I can't decide what to do. But, like, but and so but I just give up. Was, but, and, as that social integration will, will solve it for you because the answer mm -hmm. will be you'll play what everyone else is playing. Yeah. Animal Crossing, by the way. Animal Crossing. <laughs> right, right, right. Animal Crossing. Open your gates. Does that guy still yell at you for everything? If you log out without saving, he does. He's such a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. But What's he, his name? Remember his name? What's his name? Rossetti. Jerk. Rossetti, that's it. Jerk. So I don't know Animal Crossing. He's a bastard. Go ahead. But this, this is not really like a new thing, though, for people. I mean, people want to build stuff. Like, when you're a little kid, you want to play in the sandbox all day. Oh, yeah. No, the desire is always there. So where does that leave yeah. someone like me who's not creative? And so, like, I, I started playing Minecraft. I spent six hours digging holes under the island <laughs> and then went, what the hell did I just do with the last six hours? <laughs> I never played it again. No, I have so, the same problem. I yeah. need my goals. I need my story beats. I need my sweeping I need the things that I'm used to. That's why I think there's a division. I think the kids... Nick doesn't Possibly. need any of that. I, 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 I would argue that if you were to play with Nick and kind of start that journey and start building things with him, it would spark off things in your head. I mean, you know, when you're coming up with comic strip ideas, you, know, you obviously have things that come up, and you're like, oh, that's amazing, I have to make that. Mm -hmm. And the same thing can be said now for, for so many games out there. And there's a, like a game Kerbal Space Program. I, I love it because mm -hmm. it just gives you all of these stupid rockets and toys and docking ports and stuff like that. And you know, I've seen people build like walking mech robots. They're, people built you know, intergalactic space stations that fly. And it's, it's literally a, a rocket game. 
And it's just you give people a set of constraints and they will break them and make something you never imagined. And it will always be better than what you could design. So a company's biggest blizzard. By the way, there is an Activision executive vacationing in this hotel right now, totally separate from this. And I went and said, we have blizzard people here. She's like, really? Because, you know, they're all part of the same. I said it was Russell Brown, and she kind of freaked out a little. So. Excited. She was excited. She's like, why aren't they PR. It was a PR. But, but, <laughs> but you, you do a thing very specifically to create additional fidelity, layers of emotion, and all the stuff we've talked about before. <laughs> Does a future where everybody's just making stuff out of blocks give you pause as that kind of creative person? Or, or, or is there always just room for the other stuff and it doesn't matter? No, why, why be scared? It's like being scared of art. I mean, I, I grew up playing with Legos. I love Legos. I remember uh, years ago going to uh, my wife at the time and I, we went, we went to this big toy store and we bought like, I don't know, maybe like $800 worth of Legos. And, and at the checkout counter, the woman checking, house, checking us out, she paused and she goes, do you have kids? <laughs> and we're like, nope. <laughs> so, um, you know, we both have two sides to our brain, and, and hopefully, I think in the, in the best of all worlds, they both get to play. And I think, uh, as it happens, my favorite way of communicating is pretty right-brained in terms of how it gets thought up and realized and put together. But, you know, it, it wouldn't have any reason to exist without this great game, which comes from, you know, a different point of view and may come from people who uh, liked building things out of the Gary's mods of the world and things like that. So, no, this all goes together. Um, I think music made out of randomized building blocks might not be quite as, you know, memorable, but, uh, but <laughs> who knows? I mean, that would be my only possible negative there, but I don't see that as something scary. I just see it's just, it's all being done. It's all happening. It's happening. You're just you just be there for the ride. Players too, probably right. Like we want to. I don't want to shun this. I don't want to be an old fart going. Well, I remember when I could shoot a dude with a rocket launcher. <laughs> I think the old stuff. You know? you know, I think um, I I do want to say that I, I think what's been more more difficult for for just speaking for the composers in the group is that um, a lot of film scores now uh, happen to be a little more about adrenaline and a little less about melody. So uh, often when we are asked to um, create or, you know, plus a, a mood or maybe telegraph something that w would otherwise be done with a lot of words, but instead we want to, like, maybe there's a character close up and a little emotion ripples across the person's face, but no words are spoken. And music can, um, can, can telegraph what, whatever it is the director wants. But if... You know, if it was tempt with, um, and the temping process is where they might take an early version of the film before, it, you know, it might even be in storyboard mode and put uh, film scores behind it. More and more, we're getting, you know, I'm seeing this is all over Hollywood. I'm not picking on uh, uh, my colleagues. Actually, this is this is rampant in in filmmaking today. Um, you'll get three different movies. One might be a heavy drama, one might be an action movie, and one would be a, a love story. And they're all tempted with the music from Inception. <laughs> and that kind of paints the composer into a corner. So that's more uh, some of the odd trends that are happening these days, where you can pull from anywhere and put it together and 
sometimes that'll paint. A, but once in a while, you get somebody like Hans Zimmer, or you get somebody like yeah, yeah. John Williams, and they they dictate a little bit of what's going to come, right? Do you feel like that's true? Like, I don't like dubstep, but guess what? The kids are into it, so here it is. It's like that to me. It's like somebody comes up, says, hi, I'm Skrillex, here's my music, and then everyone wants to be like Skrillex, and they make it Vampire Weekend. I can't name how many Vampire Weekend sounding bands there are. But in your world, it's like John Williams was the standard, and then that's what you kind of heard for a long time. Everybody's kind of not copying, but they're, they're, it's his vibe that they're carrying through. And now everybody sounds like Hans Zimmer to me. Is the same thing? Is it individual artist stuff, or is it just overall? Yeah, it's probably a generational thing. I mean, I, yeah, I grew up loving John Williams, Bernard Herrmann, Corngold, uh, people like that. Uh, and then uh, a bunch of great, awesome dead guys, Ravel, Debussy, people like And uh, so, you know, the whole thing, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So it, that, one thing influences another. It's, that's always going to happen. All right, well, we have some time for a few questions, about 10 minutes worth. Um, I'm going to do hands on this one. So, hands up. I saw this one first, and then I'll come over there a little bit. What's your question? Uh, I wanted to know what each of yours, this might be too long of a thing, but what is each of yours' favorite gaming moment ever? And it has to be in games, so don't count E3 or watching a Let's Play or anything like that. <laughs> awesome. Good question. I'm not answering yeah, <laughs> I had one that immediately popped to mind. It's uh, uh, when for Yuna's song in Final Fantasy X. Um, that's one of my favorite game moments of all time. I think it was the first time I ever cried playing a game. It's when she when all the when all the souls she's collecting all the souls after the tsunami. Yeah, uh, I remember being utterly shocked uh, because uh, you know I knew the original Portal was going to be a dark humor game. And uh, when you get to the to what feels like the end on the last test, uh, turns a corner is like now we're going to throw you in an oven and that's the end. Uh, thinking that that was the dark humor of the game that they would end it like that, I said you know I sat down the mouth I'm like well played well played. And to my right, my friend who was watching me play was like no it can't end this way. And I was like well what can we do we're going into this oven bro. And uh, he's like no do, do, do something and 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 he's like there's the shoot the portal. I was like all right and then like that moment of realizing that the, the, you know, the, the testing was only the first phase of the game and that there was a whole rest of the game to be played was, was very, very magical for me. Yeah, that was good. For me, it's a classic moment um, as a child playing Super Mario Brothers and trying just over and over and over again to get past the turtles that threw the rocks on the, la- or the mm-hmm. hammers on the last level. <laughs> I must have spent days... And when I finally did it, it was like this victorious moment. And I was like, I can't believe I did it. I, that is just a really fond memory. A very tenacious. <laughs> oh, I'm going to beat it. <laughs> Mike, you go next. I, uh, I'm not a hardcore raider, but my guild and I, boss by boss, beat Zulgarab. And that was like the best achievement of my entire life at the time. <laughs> it was so spectacular. And I, I've never raided like that since, but, but we yeah. demolished that and I, we took them all down. And I, now, any troll instances ever, I love them just because <laughs> Zulgar up. That's awesome. Dills. Uh, King. Oh. I think uh, Jay was actually there for it. Um, not in the face, 25-man heroic Malagos. Yep. One shot. Yep. Uh, first time ever doing it, one shot. I was shaking. MMOs provide, <laughs> MMOs provide this crazy, that crazy experience you can only have there. Yeah. 25 of your friends, maybe just 10, but that up to the second, two mages are dead, yeah. hunters in the poop. Well, that, that fight, too, because, you know, you, you fight them, then you're, like, hovering on uh, 
dragons or whatever, and everyone's dropping all around us. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I think there's like three people still alive, and that last little bit of health clicks over, and it was just chaos. Like, we all just went nuts. That's a pretty amazing thing. Brian? My greatest memories are from uh, Quake, Quake 1 and LAN parties. And uh, we would get, we would have, uh, always get in the mods. And one of the mods, I think, was Painkeep. And it allowed you to throw bear traps on people. <laughs> Painkeep fan over here somewhere. Right? Yeah. And so it, it, nothing was more fun than being in a room with a group of people and constantly hearing them curse you. Because you, you come around a corner and you throw a bear trap on them and they slowly bleed to death. And there's not anything they can do about it. And uh, those are my greatest moment. I love some old quake. It's good stuff. JJ. Um, like Dill was saying, I mean, with, with, the, with, with our raid team, I think the one I can stand out the most, um, OMF was part of it, was our heroic Lich King kill. And he was the last man standing, you know, and it was just... Ours was a bit like that, wasn't there? Our <laughs> Lich King yeah. kill? Like two people left? Yeah. You know, and we were all sitting there, go, go, man! <laughs> and then just... Everybody just erupts on, on vent. Oh, you know, you know, there's all that distortion in your ear, all yeah. the screaming and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's a good one. Yeah. How about you? Mine's from when I was a kid. Uh, so I remembered every game I had quit was either because I won or lost. And I was like eight years old. I'm playing Journey on the Atari 2600. And I quit out of exhaustion. <laughs> right? It was like the game you couldn't lose or win. Yeah. And like, so it was like you're bored or you're exhausted. And I'm going... It, it tripped me out. I was going, why, why am I stopping? I'm so confused. <laughs> Russell. Um, well, I never considered myself a social gamer. I, I'm, I'm an only child. I'm really shy, and I, I, I was the guy who played Myst and things like that, those real solo experiences. And I uh, actually did not play World of Warcraft until I worked at Blizzard. And so in immersing myself in that, uh, there was a family member of, of mine who... You know, time and distance had, you know, just separated us over the years. I had not seen, talked to this person very much for a long time, and it was a real, I didn't realize what I'd been missing. And I had, uh, but she's a gamer, and I'd sent her a copy of the game. And I just remember one really amazing night, probably in um, 2006, and uh, we got online and we just started playing together in World of Warcraft. And the time, the years, the distance, just melted away and uh, it was a um, it was a Monday night and then the server announcement started coming <laughs> and uh, you know down for maintenance and 30 minutes and then 15 minutes and we were sitting there just kind of cross-legged you know in the meadow just just chatting we weren't even playing anymore we were just chatting and uh, and I remember when uh, the server finally said you know good night mm-hmm. for 24 hours or however long um, I, we, we both wept, and we didn't, you know, it was just really, that was special. And I, I came to realize that, uh, wow, I'm a social gaming convert. It's a, <laughs> it's a good time to be gaming. Awesome. I love that. Turbster. Wow, I mean, that was right in the fields there, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess mine, would be, drink. Yeah, mine, mine would be basically the same, it was pretty much exactly what Russell said, but it was all in the deep run tram, and <laughs> <laughs> just... It was, it was special. It was great. You said um, you were never going to tell anybody about that. Well, <laughs> that was between us. It was special. It was a, it was a it was start a deep of a beautiful tram, friendship. Is that what you're yeah, the deep run tram. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like it. So we're back to Turbsters, you can tell. I just got that. <laughs> I feel my Turbster impression coming on. <laughs> nice. Uh, do we get. Oh, you're. 
Oh, yeah, but I was going to say, actually, I thought of a good wow one. I think it was the first time I got uh, my flying mount, and it was, like, me and Ralph. And Ralph comes up in all of my gaming references because right. he's, like, my gaming BFF. And uh, just, like, flying around the ground with everyone for, like, hours, just learning how to do it. And everywhere we could fly, we flew that night for, like, it was so awesome. Just, you couldn't believe that you could fly. <laughs> that nuts, what the hell? So that was, that was great. Well, wow wins then, because clearly there's a lot of influence here, and it yeah. seems to be a great it's, impetus I, for I this. honestly want to see what happens in 50, 70 years' time or whatever when we look back, because we'll be alive then. When you look uh, back. When I look back, I'll <laughs> yeah, be standing we're all dead, and you look like, back. like solid snake over, over your grave. <laughs> just, I'll be smoking in just, my load exactly. screen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and just, just how, much, how much World of Warcraft shaped our worlds, really. Um, and it's, it's, I, don't think, I don't think Blizzard can even really appreciate and understand how impactful what they did has, has, has been. You know, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I mean for me, I mean, I mean, one of my greatest moments, is, of course, is meeting Renee and proposing to her there as well. But, but was it in-game? Was it in-game? The, the way it was, it was in-game, but we were in the same room, and we were on vent, and we were going for a raid. We, um, we summoned her. To the Grand. That's where we always hung out. Was in the Grand because of the floating islands, and um, she she was like, "Why am I in the Grand?" And um, I'm uh, touring, kneel down, and then she looked over because we came in the same room, and I was there on a the knee Aww. with a ring. That's so cute. You know, and yet and, you said heroic yeah. Lich King when we asked you a second ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Did you buy one of those expensive vanity rings or <laughs> no, no? You didn't. didn't. You should have, uh, why? Just give her like a troll sweat in a bottle or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was actually the rock. Open the trade it, it, window. It was, and what was that? But, it was but, a level um, green. But saying that, I mean, I haven't played a lot of WoW lately, but I still subscribe because cause that play, cause that game has a close. It's close to my heart. It's got your blood in it. You know, so yeah. it's like probably for the rest of my life, I'll probably be subscribing just until... I, there are people who don't like WoW at this point, who, who don't want to play it anymore, who may never pick it up again, but still understand what you're saying. Yep. Like, they understand yep. this thing. They may yep. have moved on because of whatever, but they still understand the impact. Well, yeah. we get it all the time. People listen to the show still. Yeah. Don't play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but they still want There's a connection here. to the I've game. some here. I've talked to a few. Yeah, they still want a connection to the game. Tom Merritt over there. No, he plays. He plays. Tom no, hasn't kept time. Yes. Bob X, man. All the time, right? Bob yeah. X. Huge what level DPS. are you, Tom? Huge DPS numbers off that. We got time for one more question, and I saw a hand over here earlier. Come over here. Sorry, that was a good, interesting, long one. Did you raise your hand? Okay, okay, short version of my question, Jane McGonigal. um, Do you believe that it is possible to apply the principles of great game design and engagement of gamers? to education. I've been listening to this adding like the like a, the fortune cookie game in education in my classroom. Can I create that in my classroom? Um, what she's saying, applying um, creating a group of of engaged collaborative creative um, questers in a classroom where kids are really varied um, is that possible even? It already Game, exists. Yeah. I mean, there's a school already that uses questing as their lesson plans. I mean, the, the gamification In of New education York. is going to be one of the most remarkable uh, elements of the 21st century. And you're already seeing it with stuff like, how many guys have played Dragon Box? Have any of you guys played that on the iPad? It is utterly remarkable. It's a game that starts off as a card game, 
And then you start to figure out, then at some point the cards change into dice with numbers, and then at some point the symbols turn into like the alpha Greek symbol. And, uh, and then at some point you uh, are solving for X, and you realize you've been learning algebra the entire time. And, uh, and it's, no. it's, it's amazing. No, it's a blast. My, my three-year-old, uh, or three-year-old, my three, my, uh, well, actually, my, my five-year-old was able to start playing it, and my third grader was able to finish it, and I've got her little plaque and everything. I mean, it's, uh, it's astonishing what's, how games are going to transform education. You know, there's a danger in that, though, and, and the danger is that if it's not done right, it's awful. And the metaphor that we use, it's like putting chocolate on broccoli, right? It doesn't make eating broccoli any better, and it really doesn't help you get to be a person that eats broccoli. And we've seen this in classes all the time where you replace a grading structure with an RPG structure. And then what kids will end up doing is just gaming the class and not getting the content because they're wicked smart. (laughs) Yeah, min-maxing, basically. Right, yeah, it's exactly what they do. (laughs) I would add to that, too. I mean, I'm not an educator, thank goodness. But uh, uh, in your I, face, teachers. <laughs> it I, I think he meant thank goodness for the children. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, no, definitely for the Oops. kids. But uh, uh, the the I do think that for certain kids it just doesn't work either. It's not even yeah. the system. Like like some people just don't learn things that way. And I think gamification. Like the question was, could you add games to education? And of course you can. Sid Meier says games are a series of interesting choices, and that's almost anything. You can play with whatever you've got in front of you. But I do think that, especially as edu- for educators, it's worth considering that it, it may work for a certain number of people, but there are always people who learn, yeah. different wi- learn differently in different ways. Well, it's a tool in the toy box, right? right? Yeah, it's another I tool, mean, and it's a good some tool. Some people are visual yeah. learners. Some people, like Mark, can just read a book and know everything in that book. So I think it's just one of those things that they will have at their disposal. And keep in mind, when I say gamification of education, I don't necessarily just mean making video games that teach things. I'm talking about the entire process of incentive learning. I mean, there's a reason that you keep on clicking just a little bit longer to level up. And they're taking those applications, you know, badges, uh, level ups, power ups that you get, uh, awards, you know, that's, yeah, and and the kids kids love it because now they really are learning the content, they really are reading the books, and they're doing it for the power ups, which is a great way to do it. Nice. We, I'd insist they have to role play though. If I'd be the characters, <laughs> I think that'd be good. We were talking before too about how you know kids growing up these days with this technology and sort of just assuming that they can sort of control their games and remake their games. I just want to recommend. Hopefully, a lot of you have read it, but maybe not. Have you all read the Diamond Age? That yeah. book is incredible, and it, it in the book there is a, a device that is sort of an interactive learning unit. That and, and when I got my hands on an iPad for the first time, I was like, this is really close to what the diamond age actually is. It's so. supposed to go to a, a well-off it, child, but it ends up in a Right, in the book child. it's supposed to go to yeah. a very rich child yeah. and it's supposed to become their like, lifelong teacher and ends up going to this, this girl from whose parents uh, get killed, I think, in that early yeah. part. It's sad, but, but it's phenomenal. It's Neil Stevenson, so he's thinking really hard about what the future might be like and how it all works, and it's really brilliant in terms of the way these kids, like you said, will just assume that they, they can change the rules of the games that they're playing. We know that if you touch a turtle that's walking at you, you'll die. <laughs> but these kids, well, how can I make turtles? And maybe I can make a rabbit. Like, they will think oh, in that way. Jump up and down on it a bunch of times so you get a... Well, you're, you're so also you seeing kids that are used to touch screens going up to TVs going, why isn't it working? Why, can't I <laughs> why doesn't it work? Why can't I interact with yeah, this exactly. core content? So it's fascinating stuff. And again, I, I, do, I wouldn't wish any kids to be educated by me, but I'm, I'm very interested in the subject for sure. So. Yeah, we'll Great see question. how it goes. It sounds, uh, sounds like we're just about out of time. Uh, love this panel. This was awesome. Thank you all for uh, participating with us. Yeah.
Really great stuff. What we're going to do now is for the, uh, for the next hour, we're going to have the uh, media part come up here. Some people are staying. Some are moving. Uh, we'll give them just a couple minutes to do that and then hang in there. Brandon, play some music or something. Uh, welcome to the second half of the Games of Media panel. This is the media panel. Yeah. Media. Media. Once again, got a table full of uh, friends and family here, and we're going to talk about uh, media stuff. Some of these are the same people. So, uh, save your claps to the last, because I want to make sure they get maximum Do time. Do not give us the clap. No clap. Nobody give them the clap. Again. Save your claps. Pause the applause. I said I was sorry. We got... <laughs> We got penicillin, what? Burmese food or whatever you were telling me about. Tram, Terpster was talking about. Uh, you got yourself the Mark Spagnolo. You got your Steven Schleiger with the vivid face. You got your Tom Merritt. You got your Brian Brushwood, your Veronica Belmont, your Justin Robert Young, and your Gnome Wise, Todd Whitehead. What's up, nerds? All right, well, let's get right to it. Um, the idea here is we're going to talk about the other stuff we're into. We like video games, but we also like Netflix and Game of Thrones and... Breaking Bad, which ought to be back pretty soon, right? I think, I hope. Dexter. Dexter? Dexter just started back? Yeah. Wasn't five kind of garbage, though? Wasn't season five not very good? Final season, baby. Did he kill people? Is that what happened? Shocking. Um, he's basically Batman, you know, Dexter. He really is. He's just using his power for good instead of evil. Sort of. All right. Are you so, touching Dexter? I like Dexter. Like personally? No, I like Dexter. He's all right. <laughs> he's a murderer, right? Like, we <laughs> should have some spoiler? element of judgment. He's the good kind. Spoiler. He has a dark passenger, Justin. So, we have guys who are from frame rate here. We have people from Sword and Laser. We have major spoilers, which talks about. And other shows stuff. without Tom Merritt. <laughs> <laughs> And we have uh, Justin Robert Young is one of the great minds in trivial knowledge, which will help uh, them be competitive later. And Dude, get that on a business yeah. card. Yeah. Oh, exactly. you trivial. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and throw some stuff at them. I want to start off with just some thoughts. Uh, the whole cable unplugging thing being on the rise. I'd like to know from the audience how many people here no longer have cable or satellite. Wow. wow. That's a way bigger number than I thought. Uh, meet. So we did it like five, six years ago, and we've never really looked back, and it hasn't been a problem and, right, honey? It's like an easy-peasy deal. We get what we want. We get it in different places. We stream it. We would rent it. We do whatever, but we get it, and we get it when we want it, and it's not a problem. I don't get live sports. That's always the big hang-up. Other than that, no looking back. So frame rate, you guys talk about this stuff all the time, you, and you probably have said this a thousand times. I'm going to have you do it again. Sure. The state of unplugging. Are we here? Are we done Where's my uh, cable deal where they're going to let me buy the, only the channels I want? I would say, like, within this, happening. within this demographic, cord cutting is at an all-time high, which means nothing to the 99.9% of the rest of the world. <laughs> it's, it's not happening in any significant numbers, uh, but you are seeing, I would say, the rumblings of fear. Like, like uh, I don't know, what would you say, Tom? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a slow march, but the march is gaining uh, and, and, and Brian's not wrong about the percentages. Like, it's, it's certainly not in any kind of critical mass. We're far from done. But you are starting to see the cracks uh, in the previous edifice. So Time Warner Cable is making an app that will allow you to stream live channels on a Roku or an Xbox 360 or an Apple TV is, is rumored to be in the works as well. You're seeing more 
companies streaming things online, not just making shows available. You're seeing in Europe, you're, I, I, I was joking when I said Europe, but in Europe there are actual cable companies providing over-the-internet cable TV experiences where you can get multiple channels. You've got Aereo, which allows you to get broadcast channels and a few cable channels like Bloomberg uh, over a subscription. So when, when Brian and I started covering cord cutting with frame rate two, three years ago, we were scraping around for stories every week. Now we were just having a conversation yesterday like we kind of have to come up with a better way of dealing with the influx of news around this topic. Everyone's interested in it. And I think Cord cutting is rarer than cord shaving. More people are cutting down their packages, and definitely more people are using Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Vudu to supplement what they're watching. Interesting. So you, so, but you don't see it as a groundswell with all sorts of velocity. Well, it's, it's a groundswell, but it's at the very beginning. In, in well, we, yeah, but, in, but, in as far as hard numbers of people cutting the cord, it's still virtually nothing. In terms of publicity, all-time high. I, I think what you're seeing now, and, and obviously all these situations are kind of uh, different for specific reasons, but when Napster happened and you saw the music companies in free fall and panic, uh, iTunes was able to step in and normalize a market and say, like, all right, listen, dollar for a song, $10 for an album, Let's go from here. And now, and it's curious because Apple's looking to get into, you know, a television. And from reports, they've been reluctant to do it without having some kind of big uh, revolution in terms of, you know, the deals with the cable companies and everything. But you have a market that is ripe for somebody to come up with a different solution because we are at a lot of high stress points, not only with consumer frustration, but also, I mean, cable companies would love to only sell you the channels that you want. The companies themselves would love to do it. The problem is that you have Disney that says, hey, listen, we're going to launch a new channel that's 24 hours of farting. And uh, if, you don't, wait, if you don't carry it, uh, you don't get ESPN. And so right. now the cable companies say, well, and that you see a lot of rights carriage disputes uh, with like DirecTV has had a bunch of them recently with AMC and FX. Uh, but this is the high stress means there's room for a big, completely groundbreaking solution. So Doesn't that groundbreaking solution have to work with all of the high stress? Because they're the ones with the content. Well, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the, the content owners still own what they do, including sports. And, and the reason why live sports is the most, uh, the only genre that has survived time shifting. Uh, and it is very, very important. And it commands huge money from these cable companies, but also... It also could command a gigantic dollar figure, not only as a direct-to-consumer uh, proposition, but also with, you know, I don't know, I, I've, I've said this a million times, just in case I'm right, I want to be credited appropriately, but <laughs> uh, I think that Xbox is, and Microsoft is a real big player for the NFL Sunday ticket package, which all of a sudden shifts the balance of power tremendously uh, from cable companies being the primary way that you can get things in your house to uh, pretty much it'll be a free-for-all. You know, if, if Xbox can, do, can land something like that, then why not Apple? Then why the, not Roku? The story up till now has been the cable companies changing from resisting getting your shows over the Internet to racing to be the people who provide you your shows over the Internet. And, and the way they're doing that is being the authentication uh, for something where, like, like Hulu, where it's like, oh, well, HBO you, you go. Know, HBO go. Uh, and, and so they're racing to do that. And the sports networks could totally unplug it for them. 
Uh, I think Justin's absolutely right. If the NFL or MLB uh, or NBA went, or even the NHL, went directly to the fans and made that jump, uh, they would they would totally ruin the cable company's leverage. Well, and they are. I mean, MLB, you know, uh, MLB, NHL. Well, they're uh, they're all already doing non-blackout stuff. Yes. But the moment they say, oh, you can actually watch the team that's from your hometown directly without getting cable, it's over. So where are we going to get this dis- disruptive technology from? I mean, the MP3 did it for the music industry. Here we have the entire industry of content creators stopping us, and the technology is ready. The, the, the technology, it's not about technology. Yeah, technology is here. The it's the legal entanglements. It's yeah. all the existing licensing agreements and the rebroadcast fee and their inability to give up retransmission. I mean, it's it's. So it's who's going to break that mess. for us? Well, is Apple I mean, going to be the one with well, the ITV? But also, like in terms of what Tom's talking about, the. Proposition. I mean, you saw like the the L.A. Dodgers, um, which you guys can boo. I don't know. There was booing about the Yay. Dodgers. Uh, just was was spectacularly uh, revised. The the worth of that franchise was revised based on the television contract that they just signed because it's so important. So that I think might be far off because the sports teams will always be able to say, well, I can either take a chance seeing what this sells to directly to the consumer and handle all that, or this company is willing to pay me $2 billion to broadcast my games hmm. for four years. In and which case, we're two years away from Dish or somebody, or maybe less, saying, we're going to provide this directly over the internet as your authentication pass. Yeah. But that still means paying for you the big fat package right. that includes the Disney fart channel. Right. Oh, the only difference is you don't have to have a satellite put up on your roof. You just need minutes. How, how does the fact that uh, we are in a TV renaissance affect all this? Does this give people leverage they wouldn't have had if this was still Lou Ferrigno and, and oh, it, it certainly. I mean, stupid look at, TV. You look know at right? AMC. AMC was the place that you watched The Godfather 2 24 hours a day. And then all of a sudden, within the last seven years, they were able to command a huge rights carriage increase from where they were because they can say, hey, you love Walking Dead, you love Breaking Bad, don't you want to find out how Mad Men ends? And, well, and plus, we've seen hints that they've been willing to circumvent all the established agreements when they uh, had the breakdown with Dish and AMC, and, uh, and Breaking Bad was suddenly not available, so all the Dish subscribers, they're like, whatever, just watch it on our internet site, it's fine. Yeah. And, I mean, and that was a stopgap solution until they got things patched up, but, but I mean, that's a, that's a fairly significant crack in the wall. It just seems like it makes the... I mean, maybe I've got this backwards. It seems like that makes the negotiation harder for it, us to get to an a la carte solution at some point. Wait, or, that's dead. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Right. The, well, the a la carte solution. We should quit talking about it, right? Yes. Well, well, a la carte, so 2003. No, I think a la carte will come, but it won't be what we want. It won't be, I want to buy these six channels. It'll be, well, we're giving you bundles of now you can buy the sports block or not the sports block. Well, and that, really, that seems to be what they want to force down our throat. What is a la carte channels if not just another problem of buying the entire cable package that has a bunch of channels you don't want? You know, like we have a la carte. It's called iTunes and Amazon. You can buy right. all the episodes of the shows that you want because if you say, okay, I want to buy an a la carte, I want to buy AMC, you might hate comic book men or the other four ridiculous reality shows that they put on when they're not showing good television. Like, you, you <laughs> no, can... No opinion or anything. But. No opinion, but they're all terrible. Like, <laughs> no judgment. Yeah. Uh, Do- 
The other horse in this race is Netflix, Amazon Prime, and even Hulu to a certain extent, going and doing House of Cards, doing original programming, and saying, we're not beholden to the cable companies at all, and we are a la carte. You buy Amazon Prime, that's a channel. You buy Netflix, that's a channel. It may have some shows you love and you can't get anywhere else. Uh, So we may be wrong about the cable companies, or the cable companies may be wrong about winning this race. It looks like they're going to win in the race right now, but that's another element to consider. Yeah, I mean, so how many on the panel have plugged, unplugged? How many of you are? That's right, la- last week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How long for you, Randy? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Year. Year. Five years here. You right. cannot deal without eight, your sports. Eight days, Brian? She fine, needs her fine, X game. Fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> so, okay, you're fresh off the wagon here. How's that feel now? I'm still, I'm still angry. Like, like I'm still, I'm still in the rage. Like I did it to those assets. Um, but, uh, but now, like, uh, like for example, you mentioned Breaking Bad, and I just leaned over and was like, "Can you buy Breaking Bad on iTunes?" <laughs> so it's like there's, and uh, and in fact, I found out yesterday. Bonnie's like, "Oh, I see. You skip town and leave me to explain to the kids why there's no Dig- Disney Channel." <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that was a thing. <laughs> well, I mean. Netflix now has a huge Disney deal, so those things seem to be getting better and better, but it's interesting because, like, all my friends who love, like, Game of Thrones, you just got to get HBO, and there's no other way around it. Yeah. I mean, there's and illegal for, ways around for, it. For, <laughs> for the record, Brian waited until Game of Thrones ended before he made his cable oh, company. That, that was not a mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, that was 100%. Right, you say there's no way around it, but it is the most illegally downloaded show. It is right There's now, no legal way around it. And for good reason, yeah, yeah. because HBO made it that way. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about this on frame rate. They uh, kind of like it, don't they? They're kind of into that. Well, uh, I don't think so. Don't I, think so? You've no. said they're into it before. Well, no, I mean, well, first of all, I, th- I think that, that individuals may enjoy the, the notoriety, but as I'm sure that's not in their written business plan. What is in their written business plan is to, um, is to accept that there will be a certain amount of piracy bleed in exchange for this extraordinarily tight control they have of a closed ecosystem. And, uh, and, that, and, and unfortunately, a side effect is that it creates a black market. Well, well HBO, the, the HBO producers, HBO executives have said, uh, we take the increased piracy of Game of Thrones as a compliment. We don't right. approve of it. It's not something we encourage, but we also understand that it happens, and we think it means that we have made an amazing product. They're, is that know, just a sign a, of how much of a dinosaur they are, where no. they can't see? Uh, no, actually, I think if we gave them, if we gave, if no, HBO no, said, if we could re- give the them the ability to buy just this show, we would have tons of money. If they were a dinosaur, they'd be raging and saying, "We need more laws." True. But they're not a dinosaur. They're saying, "Yeah, there's not much we can do about it." We don't Take like it. Take it as a but, sign of how much freaking money they're making right now that they can afford to be all like, "Yeah, yeah what can you do? Just most pirated." If also, you, subscribe. If you well, compare <laughs> that to software, if you compare that to software, Adobe was the same way with Photoshop as a one-to-one ratio of legal versus uh, illegal, and they were like, "Well, we can't do anything about it. We're just going to keep generating a product that we know we can make money off of." And, oh wait, uh, and we could stop selling the product right? and make it's a subscription. No, we can't. Yeah, creative Cloud kind of changed that whole thing, and I'm right, doing right. that because it's cheaper for me as someone who consumes those products every year, and I have to buy upgrades anyway. But their model's interesting, and I'm not so sure that doesn't have some not sway, but some. Somebody's going to look at that in the entertainment business and go, well, look what Adobe's doing with their services. Why well, couldn't we look, look do... what Comixology is doing with comics. They just started a subscription service. It's the same way. Well, that, 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 but that, that? that's how... Uh, I got a notice for my first one that's coming how, out next week. So. That's how entertainment has gone on television since cable, right? Like, it's all been subscription content. Like, right. that's, what we've, that's what we've all dealt with. Uh, to be real quick about the HBO thing, you know, they... That HBO Go app on every single platform that it's on is as slick as it is for a reason. 
They plug it as hard as they do for a reason. They put, you know, they put exclusive episodes before they air on television on HBO Go for a reason. They want everybody to get real used to HBO Go because that's looking more and more like the the, the escape boat for them when eventually things uh, the break cable down companies with the cable company. Yeah. It's not even an escape boat. It's their plan. They it's, already yeah. have a direct-to-consumer version of HBO in Scandinavia. Yeah. Uh, and they have so they've pretty much said very bluntly, the only reason we're sticking with the model in the U.S. is because they pay our marketing bills. That's you know the best commercials that we have are given to us for free by the companies who carry HBO. Uh, and we can't mm-hmm. absorb that cost yet. But they, they, their plan, I would say, like, if the cable companies do become your authentication pass, like, pay Time Warner Cable $40 and get access to all these apps, which is the model of the future, HBO may go rogue and say, yeah, we're going to jump out of that, even yep. though they're paving the way for that right now. Well, you remember when Netflix, at the peak of their DVD rental business, designed the streaming business yeah. and they replaced themselves. That's not a bad plan. No, uh, it takes foresight, but also Netflix was a company that what was it, two years ago? It was, was dead in the water. stock, yeah. You know, everybody looked at like, oh, look at that hilarious company Netflix that totally pooped themselves. Like, oh, they had that video game rental thing that Quickster. never happened. The, the Quickster. Quickster. Yeah. Reed Hastings was looked at as a guy weird. who had sank a successful boat. And then what are the reasons why they're not in that situation? Uh, House of Cards, Arrested Development. Really hammer. And they're, the, they're the Ben Affleck of services you can stream things from. <laughs> I don't know. Ben Affleck spent like seven years in the valley. Like there was a dark <laughs> period for Ben Affleck. I don't think I never thought have... Netflix was in as much trouble as everybody said they were. No, I, I think no, it was, it was a, a slow news embarrassment. Time. But I, those kinds of things generally do blow over, and they did. Well, but they, and they had their their next element in the works. You know, they knew that they wanted to get into original content. They knew what they wanted to do, and that's been uh, written about a lot in terms of like, well, they know statistically people like. David Fincher movies, they like Kevin Spacey, they like political thrillers. So, boom, let's do that three thing, you know, and uh, Arrested Development, the same thing. So, you know, they're, they're very, very smart, but it's the reason why now it's like, well, we don't worry about they're going to lose all these movies anymore because it's worth it to keep it because I want to see what happens when Kevin Spacey comes back and starts growling at the camera. So, Veronica Belmont, what show could you not live without? Oh well, Game of Thrones would probably be up there for me. I so love, good. yeah. I'm I'm a big HBO fan right now. We're watching Boardwalk Empire and and uh, all pretty much all of the, the HBO shows at this point. So, so I would love that to go on its own. I would pay you know fifteen twenty so bucks I. a month just for the app alone. Yeah, there's enough content there, and they have enough backlog stuff. Well, that you and, can do and it. that's the thing is is we talk in terms of HBO going rogue, and it it really wouldn't be. It would just be HBO becoming a Netflix because their model is already right, so incredibly model, close. Yeah. yeah, they just started a lot longer ago. Well, the thing, okay, so this is one of the points I wanted to get to. The, the, the quality of the content, especially on cable, is better than it's ever freaking been. Don't you feel like the crappy system that we're complaining about all the time, online or whatever, even here a little bit, of the way it works now for mainstream stuff, don't you feel like that's driving them to make better stuff so that they don't have to give up the old thing? No. Uh, I feel like as crappy as our uh, – the reasons we have good narrative fiction on cable television is almost entirely because of the DVR. Uh, Because it used to be when when 20 years ago, 
you just turned on the television and whatever was on was on, you couldn't come in in the middle of the story. There was no way, that even if you're doing a, a long arc like a Battlestar Galactica in the 1980s, uh, you had to have each episode be completely self-contained so you could walk in the middle and be like, oh, I kind of like that, and then that's it. And that's why so much of that programming was so bland and they couldn't afford to take big choices. Nowadays, we live in a time-shifted thing. I mean, think about it. Did we ever talk about spoilers 20 years ago? It's like, it's like no, everything yes, happens. Yes, but very rare. But, I mean, no, yeah. ma- mainly with books. It was kind of a weird thing. Yeah, or movies. Or Vader's father, who's Luke's father and Spoiler! Sorry, sorry. Oh, no! Jeez, you guys are slow. God. <laughs> don't, don't like forget. when Vader killed Zod. It's on Netflix. <laughs> we, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of digital uh, like grabs for this a la carte method. I mean, even something like YouTube, which I know Eileen can't come up here and talk about. <laughs> like they're, working on, they're working on like original content, and they're working on these channels and, and subscription channels. Um, but the problem is it's just there's just so much stuff now that I think people are having a hard time curating the content and figuring out what they want to watch. Um, I think with TV, it's a little bit easier because yeah. the same shows come on all the time. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff, but it's, it's slightly more compressed than what you can get in the entirety of YouTube. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff out there that people aren't seeing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a selection bias to saying we're at the uh, pinnacle of quality television when there's Honey Boo Boo and, you know, Thank well, you. But, but, okay. stuff like that uh, but, out there. But, but objectively, I, you can't say we are at the pinnacle of diversity of television. Well, and we I think that's why, that's, to me, it has nothing to do with technology. We are getting higher quality television because we've been doing it longer, we're getting better at it, and there's more of it out there, and it's easier to make. And when you have a larger base to draw from, you're going to have more good things at the top of that. Well, right. and... Uh, Brian is totally right about the DVR and, and DVD culture in terms of people being able to pick up on uh, that kind of fiction. But also, good content became a good business model. Uh, you know, as much as we, we lament the reality television and the Kardashians and Honey Boo Boos, there is also just a whole, uh, there's a, a host of success stories of, of networks that were dumping ground for old content that now all of a sudden decided to get into really compelling, awesome narrative fiction that we all love, and they have been rewarded for it. Uh, you know, like, like the and walking... there's more competition. There's, yeah, there's more competition, but like, it, it's a way for them to survive. It's a way for them to, to continue to command higher and higher rights fees. When you only have four the, channels, you didn't have to be as good. Well, and also, uh, when you have four channels, uh, the, the game theory strategy is keep doing base hits and hope that you get an out-of-the-park, more, more popular show than the other guys. When you have this massive diversity, all of a sudden, you've got nothing to lose. That's when you take crazy risks. That's why, that's why we love reporting on Dish stories, because Dish is like third or fourth place. So they're doing crazy things like pissing off CBS and putting in skip commercial features in there. And likewise, AMC, when you're you know, down at the bottom of the barrel, it's like, screw it. Let's do a crazy story about you know, a post-apocalyptic world where everyone hides in a barn. Yeah, and they keep firing showrunners. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I really like, Justin, I like your work on It's Always uh, Sunny in Philadelphia. It's amazing work. You really do that guy. You want to keep that up? Because really, it's... it's Thank you. Okay, I'd like to just I, go I love my work at Monsters University. I was, I was <laughs> delighted by what I did. Yeah, good job. Um, let's go across the board, starting with Mark all the way down. Best show on TV right now. And I'm not talking about... Yeah. I like it. I mean, like, you, you throw down the gauntlet and say, this is the best thing on TV. However you're getting it, well, wherever Since I'm going first, I'm going to screw it up for everybody and say Game of Thrones. All right. Fair enough. You know, I, I honestly don't watch that much television. Yeah. Uh, it's, everything is time-shifted. I mean, everyone's talking about uh, Red Wedding or whatever it is. I'm still a season and, and a half away from that. From the Red, red, red Wedding? Yeah, Do you yeah. want me to tell you what it's all about? I have a good idea. <laughs> or I read the book. 
Um, the bride wore red. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Game of Thrones, Thrones is very interesting. It's probably the best thing that I'm watching on iTunes right now. This is built for us, though, right? Like, that show is for us. Yeah, like, it's I mean, almost a, It's almost like, I don't know. They have plenty of people love it who aren't us, but I mean, Nerd food. our demographic. Built, I don't even know about that because my parents are into that as, a lot as well. So, I mean, I think this is a show that kind of spans a lot of, of age ranges from... You know, young-ish to old-ish. Full frontal nudity. That's the well, answer. That's probably why my dad's interested. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Merritt. Best show currently, currently in production. Or about to air again. Yeah. I'm not trying to lead you toward a certain one. You can't say The Wire, Tom. Well, because I was going to say The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> um. The Shield, then. No? No, the I shield, mean, honestly, it's going to... I'll be interested if somebody doesn't say Game of Thrones. I mean, Breaking Bad is amazing, and I, I'm debating in my head whether I should say Breaking Bad uh, because it is hair's breadth uh, away from being just as good. So maybe I'll just say Breaking Bad to be different. But, but Game, of, Game of Thrones is consistent. It's, it's, it's well done. Whether you've read the book or not read the book, mm-hmm. uh, it's engaging. And as complex as that story is, that's an incredible feat for them to, to pull off. This should be the rule. So since he I, did, I won't say anyone that they yeah, said. Yeah, and you just we keep yeah, going. So what? Back. We're that's down to Honey Boo Boo by Randy. Right. No uh, problem. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the best show that none of y'all are watching, and that's The Legend of Korra, that, which is coming back soon. Uh, it starts, it has, actually, a lot of it. The second yeah, season hasn't started yet. It's the Airbender spinoff. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Great yeah. thing. What well, a pop. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> it's just a cheap pop, you right. know? You're like, hey, how's everybody doing here in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> Legend of Korra, am I right? <laughs> so the man knows how to work a room. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, everybody, it's the anime series, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Mine's, mine's going to not be that popular. Um, <laughs> I really like uh, New Girl. I think it's one of my favorite shows. Thank you! I mean, if we're going to... I would say Breaking Bad sure. and Game of Thrones and all those. Are, but for, like, comedy stuff, I, I just... I have to watch every week because it cracks me up so much. the Deschanel girls just own TV at this point? It's the bangs. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, I relate on a really deep level. My wife yeah. love that show. We're, we're with you. Justin. Uh, I mean, Always sunny and... In... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you showed up dressed as the day man today. <laughs> Available, by the way, at the merch table. Uh... I mean, if I'm going to say something that no one said, uh, Game of Thrones, probably. Um, <laughs> I wish I would have thought of that. Thrones. Uh, uh, you, you want to know what? I mean, uh, t- the only two things that I've been watching recently that have really dominated uh, my head have been Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. I just recently caught up with all of Breaking Bad, and uh, it, it, it's an exceptional show, but even then, it, it doesn't touch what's happening with, with Game of Thrones. There's a reason why uh, we're all talking about it. Not only in terms of how many characters that they balance, the kinds of story that they're doing to take an unreal, surreal universe and make it uh, this, like, Braveheart-level, grounded sort of uh, narrative is just amazing. And then for uh, those of us who read the book, it's just an amazing adaptation. You know, the, the nips and tucks. Can, can, can I... Uh, we've talked about this in our, in our two-person podcast that me only and Brian, us listen to. Me and Brian to. call each other after every Game of Thrones episode. Talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we have audible people reads. would listen to that yeah. by the way you should record it uh, no uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, am I the only one, and, and maybe this is just crazy talk, but like, and I told Justin, like, at this point, I actively wish I could forget the books and experience everything fresh just from the, from the, from the television show. It depends on how long ago you read them. I mean, I... I yeah, it's easy to forget. Well, but, but see, that's even more agonizing. This doublet was then I don't of fine, know. whatever. You forget, there's so much to forget. Boiled leather, books. man. Boiled leather. <laughs> it works both ways. That's what I've noticed. My nephew have wa- has watched all the episodes currently, and so he's been spending his summer reading the books, and he just got to the point where he's now reading things that haven't happened on the TV show, and he's, he's telling me about how it's an entirely different experience now. It was really enjoyable to read it, knowing what was happening and seeing the wider world, and now he's like, but now it's amazing because I don't know what's going to happen next, and I don't know where it's going. And he's like, I keep having to go look at the wiki of Ice and Fire to like, see if the person I hate is actually going to die, and then I stop myself from seeing too much. And it's, <laughs> so he's getting both of those experiences, and I, actually, talking to him, I feel like you can't do it wrong. Yeah. You're going to get something cool either way. My husband, Ryan, did almost a very, very the same thing. Congratulations, by the way. It was oh, ha- the wedding happened since last year. I totally forgot Thanks. to say that. Um, so he, the first season of Game of Thrones, he had not read any of the books. And I had read them, but years before. I'm, well, not the newest one. I had read that more recently. But then the second season, he had, in that time, read caught all the way up so suddenly he's like schooling me on everything that's happening he's like this person isn't supposed to show up for another blah 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 and I was like it, it's kind of fun because he's excited about it now as much as I, I am and was and it's yeah it's a great thing to even if you read it or not it doesn't really make a difference but it is fun to get both of those perspectives it's just, it's just an amazing I mean so many times we and obviously feel very very proprietary on the books that we read when they become movies and television shows and uh, you know, unlike other very, very popular television shows, Walking Dead, uh, you know, <laughs> they, this is in... Uh, you say that with pain, though. I know that. I, well, you really wanted that thing I to did. be... I did. Yeah. But it, it, is, it is amazing for what they've... how they've streamlined the story and made it uh, work for television, especially in a 10-episode season when these books are just so expansive and really are a great work of art because of how vast they are and then to make it it's, it's like taking Bach and making it speed metal and, and having it work you know they call that motorhead sure. you, <laughs> it, is, it is the motorhead of television nice did, did you have an, an actual answer that hadn't been given though no okay <laughs> Todd go ahead what do you got mine's kind of an antidote situation so I've got a, a three year old and a ten year old at home so there's rarely a time when my little pony is not on our television yeah so my go. Oh, there's some fans here. Oh, I, and yeah. I have no problem. Where, where are the bronies at? The bro- bronies where at? are my bronies at? Yeah. Lauren Faust last year. Lauren Faust knows how to make entertainment, and I can I can happily sit through episodes with my children without gouging my eyes out. But when the kids go to bed, Archer goes on the television. Yeah. Yeah. Because. H. John Benjamin is my hero. Oh, now now I wish I'd I said Archer. Say that. Yeah. Me too. Great one. Oh. Uh, Bob's Burgers is pretty good. I could watch, I could listen to him all day long. Bob's Burgers Archer crossover. Bob's Burgers, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Has to happen. That was crazy. That was amazing. All right, anyway. Uh, Randy. So, Game of Thrones is not my favorite TV show. Yeah, he he finally feel like we've good. And uh, I I always feel like I'm like the, the that big majority of people who end up watching the Kardashians and Honey Boo Boo and so forth. And the reason for that is because I want to turn my brain off mm-hmm. when I'm being entertained by my small screen. And I love that point at the 
name of this panel. I love that nowadays with my Apple TV, I can bring up Twitch TV on my iPad yeah. and any, pretty much any time of the day, there's the StarCraft II World Championship Series going on. I can yep. throw that right up there, and I can have whatever I want, anything I want. And the fact is, the vast majority seem to want crap. Me well, too. Hold, and, but, and, and actually, I think you're on to something, because like, as much as we sneer and deride the honey boo-boos are out there, uh, then we turn around and watch our cat videos on YouTube. And, you know? and I, do that, I do that all the time. Yes. I am, my television is showing YouTube all the time. Yeah. And so, uh, like, when I was I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to say that no one said? Uh, I would watch the Top Chef channel if oh, it was just yeah. Top Chef all day long. Big and fan. why is that? The thing I would complain about Game of Thrones is that the author went and killed off all my favorite characters as soon as he Spoiler made Spoiler alert! So Not even, everybody really. knows yeah. this. Wait, when does but, this happen? But then I'm going <laughs> to... Which ones? <laughs> everyone dies. Every, everyone dies. But then I'm going to say I love Top Chef. Guess what happens every week? They somebody kill off gets, somebody gets killed yeah. every With week. With a knife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And baked in the cake. Well, I, I guess I'm. I, I guess I'm curious. Take your knives in the gut and go. I, I guess I'm curious because I said I don't watch a lot of television because on our television, as Andy said, is Apple TV, and so we're watching YouTube and good quality YouTube stuff because there's a lot of stuff on there. Some of it made by people up here. Podcasts. Some of it made by people up here, including Wood Whisperer. You know, and so we're watching more of that stuff that we find entertaining than what we find on regular television. I'm curious, beyond just the panel up here, how many of you out there are watching? Apple TV or something, whether it be on your something Roku, on something the big like that, screen, or something that's on new the big media. screen, not necessarily your 27-inch iMac. Well, let's see. That's a yeah, that's a good. I'm show watching right more content now because I've got the kids, and the kids own the family room. You don't get to wedge your adult viewing in there until they're in bed. But I can go to fold the laundry out of the dryer, park the iPad up there, put Top Gear on there, and I turn my brain off and mm-hmm. fold my laundry. Yep. And I'm Top a happy gear, man. Yep. And you know. And you know what? Richard you know what Hammond. The, you know what the show is for me that I really get to turn my brain off and smile and enjoy, and like an hour later, I just feel entertained. Justified. 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 Oh, that be mine. oh hell yeah! That show just shoot. Man, I, that was my go-to. I the wish there here. were a thousand episodes of Justified because it, it actually it makes me talk slower. I love Justified. For hours. Man, I got comfortable. Get your southern gentleman on. Yeah, and ju- Justified yeah. is. Uh, I think we had a conversation about this on the morning stream once. That like if you are judging the grand, if you are doing the big list of the best television shows ever, I think that part of what you have to factor in is like what were the, what was the larger point of things and Justified is not a show that necessarily has a larger point about things. Uh, and funny, we were joking about Dexter, that, you know, he's a murderer, we should judge him. Uh, Rayleigh Gibbons has a pretty high body count at this point in the series. Oh, yeah. That dude murks like three people an episode uh, without hesitation. So, uh, and yet still has his job, which is always hilarious. Uh, but TV logic. Yeah. And really, if you've never seen Justified, all it is is the answer to the question, what would happen if I took Malcolm Reynolds out of Firefly and made him a U.S. Marshal in 2013? Like, that's all it is. It's just that guy. It's a Western. Only Timothy It's Oliphant. a Western with cars. Right. Tim- look at it. Timothy Oliphant has his spin on it. I love it. it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's exceptionally, exceptionally well done. And the only thing I would say to everybody is that if you watch the first season they were kind of under the impression that they were going to do a, like, case of the week kind of show mm-hmm. through the mm-hmm. first eight episodes. And then the last three, they're like, That's just, this is stupid. Let's just tell a story with the most interesting characters that people have resonated with. And yeah. they never look back. And, and from there, it's all just kind of... Uh, it is linear storytelling. You know, it's not just, like, you kind of follow a case as it, as it sort of goes uh, throughout the season. But 
It's so well done. But yeah. don't judge it before they took the training wheels off. So good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Stick with it. So I'll say Longmire because you took my other cowboy Longmire, one. Longmire, all right. All right. I really like Longmire a lot, but it's basically CSI Wyoming. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it is. With Katie Sackhoff, great. Sackoff. It's totally worth seeing. I think it's great. And I love a, is I there, love a slow-talking Western. Is say there what? any good sci-fi on right now? TV? Yeah. Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. Defiance. Yeah. Have you tried? Def- well, Defiance is not bad. Well, Doctor That's Who. Is Defiance getting better? A lot of people were lukewarm on that. Yeah, it's, I think it's gotten better because the story started moving. How's the game? I like the game. The game's good. A lot of people gave me heat for that, but I thought it was fun. Under I don't know anything about the show, so I don't know if that hurts or helps me. But Under the Dome had a good first episode, but I'm not sure after the second one. Yeah, it went oh, really? Well, there's only been two episodes, but yeah. And that's, so, and that's Brian K. Vaughn, right? Uh, yeah, yeah it is. Oh, wow. No Under kidding. The Dome? He's, well, he's producing it. He's, yeah, he, wor- he worked for Lost for the last three seasons, it's still which may or may not be a good or bad thing, oh, yeah. depending well, on it's who's it's there. Kind of, it's the curse of the Stephen King source material. I, I love mean. that book, though. I love, I love Haven, though. We Haven, all love Haven the books, Stephen but King. can we I adapt them? No, you're Anyone right. It, we'll see. I kind of have, there's some lostiness in there that I kind of like. I don't know what the second episode's like, so that may Well, the book, wasn't the book written kind of, like, he was very, very obsessed with Lost, like, and, and that was a, a, it shaped that story? Oh, you're right, yeah. He and that sounds like that. Stephen King. Stephen King's, like, every book is like, hey, this is shiny, here's a book. Yeah. <laughs> and get off my lawn And then he makes that. bank. Yeah. Can I have that formula? <laughs> then he just goes to do the morning zoo show on his radio station in New Hampshire. Does he really? And this was Journey. <laughs> Coming out next. It's pretty good. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take two black. questions. So I know sweet. it's not a ton, but I apologize. <laughs> who, who have we not gone to see? You know what? We'll front row this, and then we'll back row somebody else. And then we'll do this side. So since everybody's favorite show is an ad- adaptation of a book, how do you guys feel about books and when they produce it as a TV or movie being similar or different, or do you have a preference to one way or the other? <laughs> I'd give the example of like True Blood, where from the first season it went away from the books for a much better show than what the books are ending up being. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. Suke. Suke. Yeah, to me, it doesn't matter. Like I, I read so so much, and a lot of I, I guess it's kind of cool that a lot of what I read gets turned into books. I mean, TV shows or movies, but it just it really just it's a case by case kind of thing. I mean, it's, there's, there's never a standard for this kind of thing. Like, Game of Thrones, I've been pleasantly surprised with some of the changes they've made to the source material, and I've understood a lot of the changes they've made because it works, it, it helps the show. Um, it, it'd be pretty boring if they did some of the stuff that ended up you know, in the books. Um, but then something like True Blood, I disagree. I prefer the books to the show. So for me, it turned me off the show, um, and I've continued to read the books. But, yeah, there's, it, it really just depends. It's, it's a personal taste kind of thing. I think uh, it, Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, uh, I've talked way too much. <laughs> but we love it. Uh, author involvement seems to be a, fo- a common thread. So I, I've always looked at... Dresden Files adaptation to television, even though it only lasted a season. I liked the show. I loved it. (laughs) And I had a a chance to interview Jim Butcher for my show, and he was deeply involved in the adaptation. Mm -hmm. Not, he didn't have veto power, but he made sure he was involved. And you look at all the changes they made to that universe, and there were radical changes to the characters, but the spirit and the feeling of the universe stayed almost the same. And that's when I really wish hadn't. And you look at Game of Thrones, and he is right in there. 
deeply involved, and it's an incredible adaptation of a vast work, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Right in there, murdering. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, I think shiv, the, shiv, shiv. I think the but, one I'm most worried about is uh, the Outlander series coming to stars, because uh, the, the series is great. Because it's, yeah. it's coming to stars. Because it's coming to stars. That's the bit, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one. I, I don't remember last time I, I mean, saw something on stars. I, know, I, I don't think that just having the author involved necessarily makes it Depends good. on the author. Yeah. But yeah, it depends. I cut you off. No, 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 it totally depends on the author. Oh, Me and... <laughs> Me and Brian had a conversation on uh, their first Night Attack album available now on iTunes and Amazon, uh, <laughs> where we talked about uh, Jurassic Park because I, I am a huge fan of the movie. He is a huge fan of the book, and not to say that either of us necessarily dislike the, the other, the other, the other work, but we are very, very passionate about which, if you had to watch both, in which order it should be. And and my point of view is that if I mean obviously uh, consume stuff as you want, you know it's not a hard and fast rule, but if you had to choose, watch the adapted work on television or as a movie first, because once you get to the book, if you enjoy some of the themes there, you, you will always be moving into an expanded universe as opposed to looking at the expanded universe and trying to make your own edits in your head on, well, they shouldn't have done that, and, and they should have kept him, and oh, but I love the other guy, and it, it's weird. It's a lot less judgmental going in See, that I, direction. See, I like it the other way. I, I, I don't, I, it's very important to me. It's all about priorities. It's important to me that I get to decide what the character acts, sounds, and looks like in my own head before I have a television or movie interpretation put upon me, because once I see that, I can't undo it. So you like so I, I like the role I of like director. reading the book first and getting that wider world and then seeing how it's how it's interpreted. I understand what you guys are saying about the other way. It, again, it's about priorities. If you're like I want to have something more when I go and see the second so one, you're it, definitely going to get is that. Is it from a the case books. where it's like uh, in your mind like well, having already directed the definitive Game of Thrones, I look no, forward to this. No, it's not this. that. It's more like <laughs> Tyrion looks like this to me, and if I had started watching Game of Thrones first, he would look like Peter Dinklage, not the way he looks. Oh in my man, head. I'll tell you what. I, I go back and read Game of Thrones. That Tyrion in my head looks nothing like Peter Dinklage, and no, neither do either. almost any of the other characters, just because George R. R. Martin goes so far out of his way to talk about how incredibly ugly literally everybody in that universe is. Yeah. There are like three bangable characters in the entire book, and like and you Tyrion's would, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> And like, on, that, on that show, you would sleep with everybody, yeah, yeah. regardless of gender. <laughs> everybody here. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> I think, it, for me, I guess it kind of depends on what you're trying to do out of it. For example, if you watch Smallville or if you watch uh, Arrow, nothing like the comic books. Right, and that's fine. But the cool thing is it gets a lot more people aware of these properties so that when they want to go out and explore in the digital, they can read the digital version, or if they want to go and see a movie that has a similar character in it, uh, then I think that's a good kind of a opening door. So, yeah, I take it on a case-by-case basis, but in some cases it can actually be good if you can reach a mass audience as opposed to a very niche audience. Well, sometimes we get two completely different works. I'm looking at you, World War Z. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No yeah relation that that movie is okay, though. That wasn't the worst The movie is fine by like itself. Just don't, yeah. just don't make it any relation to the book. Take them as two totally separate works, and they both stand on their merits separately. I don't even know why they named it World War Z at that point. Because they Cha-ching. own the rights? I guess. Well, different. it's the same cool, way. Man. I don't know. If they do more with that universe, I'm kind of interested in that, kind of not. Like, like mm-hmm. they could branch out and say, here's more of the war, and these are other characters affected. And, oh, 
Come on. You could go places with it, but that's more like serialized TV to me. So I, I don't know. What that would have been cool. Yeah. That would have been. Would have been really cool. Well, it would have been more like the book. It may not have been documentary style like the book, which I loved. Yeah. But they could have vignetted this thing together like, of all these conflicts and where they occurred around the mm-hmm. world. Amazing stories, but with zombies. Right. I'm down with that. Do you guys remember Amazing Stories where they had the yeah. cartoonist trapped yeah. in the underbelly of the plane and he drew fake yeah. wheels? Yeah. Why were you, you guys, attracted to that story? You guys story? have no idea how that impacted yeah. me when I was younger. Yeah. Huge. Thank you, Steve. I think I, I became a cartoonist after I watched that. Because like, if I was ever going to be in the gunner thing and it was going to break, <laughs> I'm making my own wheels. Uh, all right, we got time for one more. Let's pull one over here. Your hand was up first, I think. So, Brian touched on the fact that there's no really good sci-fi right now on TV. Uh, Defiance is good. Continuum is, is nice as well. But I remember a time when there was, I think, three Star Treks and uh, Deep Space Nine. And, and, uh, Stargate. Stargate. Farscape. And uh, BSG. Stargate Atlantis. Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> Elon 5. So, so my question is... Stargate SUV, or wait, <laughs> SVU? <laughs> no, that, that was a one-off. Stargate Star SVU. <laughs> I preferred Star Trek Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> also so, starring Katie Sackhoff. That was Enterprise, I believe, no? <laughs> um, so my question is, why isn't there? And uh, what uh, franchise from uh, books or otherwise could make it and, and fill that niche of the good, the very good Sci-fi on there's TV. there's only one the franchise that, and I don't know how how they'll crack it, and I don't believe it'll end up being good, but it is near and dear to my heart, uh, and we keep getting teased with it, and that's the Dark Tower. I think there's oh. such massive, massive. Yeah, is that potential. sci-fi? Though? That's not uh, sci-fi. Yes, though. It is. That's it's fantasy. Okay, it's fantasy. you haven't read it. It, it turns. <laughs> it's, 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 it's North Central Positronics. It it's that's not science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fighting words. <laughs> Go watch Casablanca. Wait, this is, this is my favorite series of all time. It's, isn't it yours? Oh, yeah. It's easily. an amazing book. I'd say it's a mix. It's definitely got fantasy elements. It's also a big old fat western half the time, which I love. Sure. Stylistic. It's amazing. Yeah, there, there, there was talk it's about... Uh, keeps yeah, going yeah, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything from it being an HBO series to... The, the, at one point, there was a deal where they had a deal for three movies and two seasons of a television show that would be between the movies that would tell episodes of what happened. Um, you know, who, who knows where it's going to go. And I just, I just feel like we're all going to be disappointed in the end, which is uh, a bummer. <laughs> as far as science fiction goes, uh, and I've only read the first of the series, but uh, Hyperion... I thought that was going to be my answer, actually. Um, I don't know if that, how that would work. Period. I'll tell you, but it's just... By it, Dan Simmons. Yeah, it, it's an amazing universe and a really, really rich uh, universe that you could... Uh, that I think you could, you could get a lot of... You know, t- especially for television, you could uh, really, really mind that. And uh, I enjoy the hell out of it. And then also, uh, I mean, I would love to see... There are some of the narrative elements in uh, Pandora's Star. Oh, my um, God, yes! <laughs> and Judas Unchained, the book after that, that I think... Uh, were, would be tailor-made for There's television. only three reactions. You, me, and Peter F. Hamilton in the back. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Hey, yeah! Steven, any comic book uh, science fiction you'd like to see? Oh, man, I, know, I really wish they had enough uh, flush lock and, uh, lock and key down yeah. the toilet on television, but, you know, they are making a movie of it, so that's a, a little bit of a plus there. Uh, but lock and key is really good. I'd like to see an animated Atomic Robo series oh, on like a yes. Cartoon Network uh, would Scott be Kurtz doesn't want to see that but no. I would want to see it I would, I, I would. it would be really great especially <laughs> he with th- Dr. he thinks Dinosaur. it's Hellboy is what he thinks <laughs> I think 
Go ahead. And a Hellboy like Well, that. I was going to say on Sword you and Laser. You better not we... say the thing I'm going to say. I'm going to be so mad. No, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to answer the first part of the question of like, why aren't we seeing a lot more science fiction right now? On Sword and Laser, we talk about why aren't we seeing as many science fiction books right now, or at least become as popular. James S.A. Corey is one of the few that's like really got a lot of buzz around mm-hmm. it. And that stuff just goes in cycles. Uh, and, and it's going to be really bad right now because Game of Thrones is so popular. Everybody's going to rush to make their own version of Game of Thrones and try to ride that wave. And, and the thing is, they're already starting to put options on a lot of these kinds of projects. I think Ringworld has got an option on it uh, that, that's being act- actively created. And so what's going to happen is people will start to try more science fiction. People will get tired of, of gritty, dark fantasy and want to change. And somebody will write the book that ga- gathers all the buzz and then the TV shows will come and I think that that's just kind of the natural cycle of how this stuff goes there's a lot of sci-fi yeah. movies right now I mean you're getting yeah. they're not great you're starting to see more yeah, Oblivion yeah. wasn't very good but it was a sci-fi movie and this after Earth thing was terrible but it was a sci-fi movie. coming up right yeah. Elysium looks amazing right so I, think, I feel like that's a good year if we care about that Pacific Rim looks great so yeah. I think one series that's really kind of set it, set itself up well for for TV at least would be uh, John Scalzi's uh, Human Division in that whole world you took mine <laughs> oh, ah, turnabout is fair play. Yeah. No, the whole the entire old man's war series. Totally. Yeah. yeah. He's, he was he's already been a creative consultant for Stargate Universe, so he mm. knows how the world works. Right. Great characters, a lot awesome. of humor, great great sci-fi. And he seems to be coming world to Los building. Angeles a lot. Yes. I on his blog. Mm. 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 Rumor mills. That's where things happen. All right. Well, it's also where a lot of things don't happen. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Believe yep. me, I know. Um, so here's the deal. I am 100% sure I could listen to this for the rest of my life because I love this stuff. But we have to end it. Um, I want to thank our panel. Please give them a round of applause. So here's the deal. We are now going to end this. And Hi, this is Scott Johnson, host of The Instance, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio.